HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome New Orleans chef, Serene Mbe. In this episode, we'll talk to Serene about blending Senegalese and American cooking, how New Orleans cuisine is being redefined, and we'll hear Serene's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. There is a common narrative that combines Julia Child's reputation as synonymous with French food. It's almost like Julia equals French. Now, certainly Julia's training as a cook is rooted in French tradition, and Julia's love of food is rooted in the education she received in France. However, that only tells one part of Julia's journey in food. It was the jumping off point, not the totality. After the success of the French chef public television show, in which Julia was neither French nor a chef, Julia went on to explore multiple dimensions of American cooking. She looked to French chefs who had made America their new home, like Jacques Pepin or Daniel Belloud. But just as often, she explored the innovations of American chefs, like Thomas Keller or Alice Waters. For Julia, her career journey and impact is as much about the evolution of American food as it is about teaching French cooking. It's a story about how we cook and eat that is more complex, diverse, and complicated than history usually gives credit. 
someone who is following a similar, ever-evolving journey through French cooking tradition into redefining what constitutes American food is Chef Serene Umbe. Serene studied at the New England Culinary Institute before rising through some of America's top kitchens like Atelier Cran and L'Atelier Jules Rubichon before arriving in New Orleans at the legendary Commander's Palace. The son of Sem- Senegalese immigrants, Serene was born in Harlem and grew up in Senegal before returning to study in the U.S. Before he was born, his mother, Katie Conte, was a chef at Tuba Tafe, one of New York's earliest Senegalese restaurants, and his aunt, Ndube Conte, was also a Harlem-based Senegalese chef. Incorporating modern techniques and all of his myriad experiences, Serene turned his focus to Senegalese cuisine through a series of pop-up dinners with under the moniker Dakar Nola in New Orleans at Margaret Place, the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, and the Mosquito Supper Club, where he was chef de cuisine. He gained further notoriety after being named Eater New Orleans Chef of the Year in 2021 and garnering a Best Emerging Chef nomination from the James Beard Foundation in 2022. In November of 2022, Serene joined forces with his business partner, Effie Richardson, and opened De Carnola as a permanent restaurant. De Carnola features a modern Senegalese tasting menu highlighting local seafood and produce from farmers in South Louisiana, taking inspiration from Serene's childhood in Senegal. Serene is one of a new generation of multicultural chefs redefining New Orleans' culinary identity while at the same time reconnecting it to its often misconstrued history. He joins us today to tell us more about Dakar Nola and the influences of African food on American food traditions, past and present. Welcome to the podcast, Serene. Wow. Is, is that a me? Man. <laughs> Did I get it wrong? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it makes it feel like I'm... 75 years old, you know? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess you packed a lot in. And yeah, but do you want to say how old you are so people know that, that you got a lot done in a short amount of time? Yeah, for sure. Um, I am 29. Well, it's impressive. You, you did a lot in those 29 years. So let's talk about that. That was actually my first question. Like, I thought it was interesting to hear from you directly. Like, how and when did you decide to, to make New Orleans your home? Um, I think... Uh, to make New Orleans, so after I graduated culinary school, I wanted to learn more about uh, the food that I grew up eating and how can I find a restaurant that does something similar to that. And after I graduated culinary school, I had went to Cleveland, Ohio, spent a little bit of time there. Then I visited... Um, Senegal, which I have not been back home since I, I returned, so it's been about eight years. And throughout my time in Senegal, I learned more about the culture and etc. On my way back from Dakar, I met this organization group called Giving Hope, which they were opened up opening up a school, orphanage school in Gambia. And I heard them speak in English, and I was quite surprised by that because Senegal is a country that was colonized by French. So um, I went to spoke with them and they got to ask the question, ask question about 
me and et cetera, how I grew up. And I told them I'm a chef and they were very impressed. And they quickly made the introduction to the executive chef that was at uh, this restaurant called Commander's Palace. And I was introduced to Chef Tori McPhail. And next thing you know, the connection happened. I came to the South. But one of the reasons why I really came to New Orleans was um, it was a writer that, that it was a writer that once said that uh, good American cooking is inspired by Southern cooking and good Southern cooking is inspired by West African cooking. And New Orleans is the closest in the States that I could find uh, Senegalese food than anywhere else because New Orleans has its own culture uh, uh, and its own uniqueness compared to other cities uh, in, the, in the United States. So here we are. Yeah. And I guess there, I'm assuming there's sort of a separation between, I feel like what you just described is your journey to get there and why you chose to check it out. Right. But that's not necessarily the same reason to stay. So I think that leads up to the next question. Because the reason why I stood here is because New Orleans remind me of so much of Senegal. When I came, when I arrived in New Orleans uh, and I was taken to French quarters. And I'm looking at these homes in the French Quarter. I'm thinking to myself, this reminds me, these homes in St. Louis, which is the first capital city in Senegal before it was Dakar. And I was taken to Cafe Dumont, where uh, I was introduced to a thing called beignets. At the time, you know, I know what beignets are. I did, never heard of it. And as I waited to, in the line and waited, I finally got my beignets about 45 minutes later. And I took a bite into the beignets and I yelled and top my lung, beignet. And this guy started laughing and he corrected me. No, it's not beignet, it's beignets. That's what's known in New Orleans. In Senegal, I grew up knowing it as beignet. So he was right and I was also right. Cause you yeah. know, um, it was those moments that I was like, wow, this city is, a place that I need to discover more and I was supposed to be here for three months. But um and the more I lived in New Orleans, the more I realized how the people that live in New Orleans, how kind they are, how much they care about hospitality and how much the culture and the food, the connection that, that I could find in Senegal, you know, is is closer to home that I could I could get in the States. So here we are. I think New Orleans is a place that uh, I would consider home forever. And was New Orleans the only place that I would love? I wanted to have a restaurant. Here we are. Now I got a restaurant in New Orleans and I love the city. That's such a lovely, lovely story, especially because it, it, it's leaving out a lot of, of, of the the difficulties of New Orleans, but it is a very special and unique place. And I think the the what I talked about in terms of redefining New Orleans history has always been known as a great food city. But I think, as I talked about at the top of the show, that's often been maybe overshadowed and overly connected to French and European traditions and Creole food and Cajun food. And the one of the things that you and many other chefs are I wouldn't even say exploring, bringing back to the center is how much that isn't untrue, but it's leaving out a big part of how particularly what is Creole food was heavily influenced by 
forced migration from Africa and those traditions. Right. I mean, you know, the French, you know, definitely has tremendous amount of influence when it comes down to Creole and Cajun. But I think that the part that is not being told is that West African can contribute to Creole and Cajun. You know, I mean, we look at New Orleans as an example, two thirds of slaves that arrived in New Orleans came from the Senegambian region, which is country is countries in uh, country in West Africa, such as Senegal included, Gambia, Guinea-Bissau, Guinea-Conakry, a little bit of Abikos and et cetera. And those people came here and really brought their culture with them. And yet over the years, you know, you look at back then who was cooking the food. It were it was our people. But yet, you know, we we not the one getting recognized. So for me, it was crucial and very important to learn all these amazing, amazing techniques from all these other restaurants. But yet, when I decided to one thing, want to open a restaurant, I knew that I needed to cook food that is true to me and claim it. But most importantly, let people know that, let people know where it comes from. And do you think, like, as soon as you started at Commander's Palace, did those, was that occurring to you right then and there? You were like, hey, wait a second. Like, this is like, this is an interpretation of stuff I know from Senegal. No, to be quite honest, when I first started working at Commander's, I I didn't know why I loved it, but I knew that I could have, I see a lot of similarities at first, you know? And the more, the longer I, I was there, and begin doing research about Creole and Cajun cooking and setting, uh, setting cooking in general as well. And I realized how much the connection between Senegal and New Orleans and how strong it is. And reading, you know, like Beyond Gumbo about Thatsa Jessica Harris, um, High in the Hog, and meeting my mentor throughout the process, who is a New Orleans native. and he gave me a lot of books that has so much connection between the two cultures. And I realized, wow, I mean, the food that we eat in at command is, is truly inspired by us. But at first, that I did not know that. But more... Was that kind of because the flavor profiles are changed in such a way or they're not using the, the, any more of the ingredients that, that might be more native or common in a place like Senegal? Honestly, I just then I just didn't know. I, I was just like it just tastes familiar to some degree, but the cooking method was there. But it was this was not something I was able to realize until I got more further knowledge about it, you know. And when I did find out about about the connection, then it became much more clear. Well, let's talk some specifics because um, certainly, you know, I think. It seems like the reception to uh, to Carnola, because you started as a pop-up and then it became permanent, and I assume that's based on people really enjoying what you were doing and really wanting to experience it. But could you talk about some of the dishes that you feel embody what we've just talked about and what you're trying to achieve at, at De Carnola? Um, one, I would say is when I learned about gumbo, um, I grew up in the States hearing about gumbo, then you did not know what was gumbo. And when I was at, you know, when I was at Commanders and learned about what gumbo is and et cetera. And then after doing research, I realized, whoa, the word gumbo, you know, 
come come from West Africa. Um, and gumbo is a French. I mean, gumbo. The word gumbo translate to okra, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, it's known as kiang gumbo. And Senegal, we have a version of that called supu kanje, which means okra soup. And classic New Orleans gumbo is made with okra and seafood. And the Senegal um, classic um, okra soup uh, has okra and bunnies amount of seafood, which is essentially what gumbo really is in New Orleans. But the difference is that New Orleans has roux, which is taken in the soup. For us, we use palm oil as a fat content to richen the dish. Mm. You know, I mean, but I think some of the cooking method is there, which is one pot, slow cook, and add what you have. And I think that that dish has changed based on time and based on season, but the method is there. And yeah, no, I mean, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I've I've heard people like Dr. Harris talk about the those comparisons. What are some of the other dishes? Or I mean, I don't know how often does your menu change radically, no, or are there some no, no. dishes that you want on the tasting menu all the so time? So I kind of cook in a way how my mom cooks and my aunts, uh, in a way where I decide to cook a dish. And I use what is available within the season to add that to, towards the menu. But as an example, and, in, and also what inspired me. So one of my last trips to Dakar, I visited an island called Gore Island, which is many of our our ancestors were held and where the where they departed uh, through the middle, middle Passage. And it was this guy that was giving me a tour around the island he was telling me all this beautiful history and so on and so forth. And end of the end of the tour, I asked him, you know, do you know any food that or what did our ancestor eat? Because I was just so curious from a from a chef perspective. And he mentioned to share, well, um, if they were not sixty kilos, um, they weren't going to. Uh, uh, get inside of the boat because they knew they wasn't going to make it through the middle passage. Middle passage. And what they did was they fattened them up quickly, which they fed them black eyed peas and palm oil. I was like, whoa. And as a kid in Senegal, I eat some version of that and didn't even understand the history of it and or the origin of it and the reason why that the existence of that dish. And to me, when he was sharing the story, I was like, whoa, so this must be the last meal for many of them. And if they refuse to eat the food, you know, there was consequences, which we all know, which was life being taken away. Um, so at Dakar Nola, currently we serve a soup dish. We call it the last meal to um, pay homage to those people that ate that dish. Um, not enjoyment but benefit of others and we served yeah so we add black eyed peas and palm oil we add new orleans beautiful crab meat with some crispy rice for some texture and to me i think is one of the most balanced dish that i ever created 
and the story is so deep. And oftentimes we get folks that get uh, emotional when they eat the dish. We get folks that get a little bit uncomfortable. We get folks that have some sort of joyful. It depends who they are and where they're from. And the beauty of it is that you sit in a communal table with people that you don't know, and everyone has a different take on what that dish is. And I think that is so powerful. And that's what I try to do based on the food that I'm cooking and let people know where it comes from and how people receive it is truly up to them. But at the end of the day, I think that people should know where it comes from. And that's that's the story that we're trying to share at the Carnola. I see. And so it's actually, you have a kind of repertoire of dishes, but they adjust seasonality. So it's- yes kind of under an umbrella, it's the same thing, but season to season, it will have slightly different ingredients based yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, like we, we tell folks, our restaurant is not a seasonal menu, it's in season. I don't force to use ingredients that's not in season. And when you present the tasting menu, is there an explanation like you just gave or the dishes just come out and how do you balance the the dishes telling the story just themselves as food and and what is said during service well the restaurant number one is a very small intimate restaurant so it's very impact and very and the dish change pretty much it could change daily because we print out the menu every day and i come out i come out before the dinner start whether me or iffy and share the story of the dish and what inspired me to have that dish on the menu. So every single day we share the story of, now we also have new stories with farmers that I build relationship with here in New Orleans or fishermen or, you know, um, now we adding those stories into the menu because I think that for me, food is a way to tell a story and share connection. And what sort of responses have you you had from I mean, you said you talked about from the the soup that it often triggers a very emotional reaction for for people. I think I was asking sort of just the community response to kind of your redefinition of what food in New Orleans can be. That this is it, it's not a Creole restaurant, right? I think it's I think within the community it it has been received very well. Um, New Orleans has. Folks from New Orleans has supported Dakar from the pop-up, which is the reason why I had the fake to want to open up a brick and mortar. But I think it had been received very well because people love the idea of change and seeing food that is familiar to what they grew up in, such as Creole and Cajun, but yet this is Senegalese influence and they can see themselves through the dishes, you know? And I think that's a beauty in it. You know, I think that for me, it's just another... Uh, it's just another approach of how much the West African influence and a lot of people just don't know. A lot of people are coming in and learning and leaving. And in the meal, they ask me, you know, how can I learn more? And that's the beauty of it. That's wonderful. I, I was curious, given that you have a very specific format and it, you, you still aren't doing, you know, a huge number of covers a night do you have a vision of expanding it or you feel like it needs to be the size that it is to have its impact? Like what are, do you have thoughts of where you're going? Um, for the moment right now, I'm just 
giving people the best I possibly can, which is what we're doing at Dakar. So um, in the future, I don't know what the future holds, you know, but if I get people that are talented, I mean, we have amazing amount of talented people in our team, but in a sense of people that have a lot of experience are able to run the restaurant without me and young and hungry and want to want to learn and want to do it, I would certainly let them do it, you know, and then possibly then I could venture out other ideas. But for the moment, I'm just focused on Dakar and making sure that everyone that comes in our door leave feeling inspired and feeling well-fed. Well, that makes sense because I'm just conscious of it. We often are talking to chefs who've had restaurants running for like 20 years. You opened in no, you opened as a brick and mortar permanent location not even a year ago. I mean, it's, it's been four months. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, it's been, but it has felt like a year. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, do you think that helped though that you had the pop-ups going? So it's it, it was different than like when people open a restaurant that no one's ever yes, been to yes, before? Yes, tremendously. I think doing a pop-up allowed me to know what people enjoy, what people don't enjoy. It allowed me to build a trust with the community of folks from New Orleans. And most importantly, learn about the business and the opportunity to work with real numbers. So I was able to use those numbers that I work in the pop-up and times that by the amount of days that I open and figure out a way to make it work because, you know, um, I didn't learn nothing about the business side. It was just a mm -hmm. risk. I just took the risk on myself and, <clears throat> excuse me, and my business partner, Ify, and I was like, hey, I just want to do this restaurant. You, you want to do it? And she said yes. And next thing you know, we just we just jump and then trying to swim. Right now, it seemed like we, you know, we, we, we're doing laps, so it's, it's good, you know, so I'm grateful for that moment. Yeah, I just read something um, that uh, Tom Clicchio wrote that he said, you're really just a cook and not a chef until you actually are doing the management side of a restaurant. And that to him. I totally agree. I totally, because cooking is the easiest thing. I think it comes to me so easily because I've been cooking for over a decade, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the business side of it is something that, not even the business side of it. Yes, the business side is something that's new to me, but also managing your own business is completely different from managing a business. Because your your approach is, you come from a very passionate place because you know that your whole life you work for this moment. So, um, and also getting people that that have experience in working for you and have bad habits that you're trying to break out of or someone that doesn't have no experience working for you and you have to teach them about your your culture. And regardless of what it is, it's a challenge to a sense because no cooks that come in the door have any knowledge about um, how to cook my food. In fact, you know, one of the things that one of the one of the things that I do is if a cook came, comes to the restaurant and start working with us, you know, they have about a four weeks to learn how to master our, our rice. Every cooks that comes in, you know, had a they know how to cook rice, but definitely not the technique of the way of how I like rice to be perfect. You know, how I like rice to to mm. feel after it's cooked. And now every single person that's worked in the kitchen, including the pastry people, know how to produce a rice the way how it should be produced. And that's the beauty of it. You know, and I think 
that's when the chefs really, the chefs really begins. You know, that's when you step out of the comfort zone of, of a cook. You know, because cook could cook anything, but chef is to teach a person how to cook something without lifting a finger. To me, I think that's a chef. Wow, I think that that's a really great definition too, and and a really great example of it. Because of course, in in many ways, rice is such a simple dish, right? But there's ten thousand ways to cook it, and even right. when you cook it your own method, the same fries. Maybe not you, because you're cooking so often. But I know for me, having just made it Saturday night, and I'm like, this did not turn out exactly like it's not even the same. Even when you use the same method, it can turn out slightly differently every time. Right. I mean, if as an example, you know, you go to a French kitchen. You know, and then the chef tell you, hey, make a French omelet. They could learn a lot about a, a way of a person, how they cook omelet, how gentle they are, how careful they are, how that how much how much technique that they learned or they mastered, and how the edge of the omelet looks, how glazed the omelet look from the outside, and you know, what did you garnish it with? Did you use chives and how finesse did you cut the chaff and all these things matter at the end result and for me that's how that's how i feel that's how passionate i am about someone cooking rice just like going to a french restaurant you're cooking an omelet you're being judged by that i judge by i judge person by cooking a rice <laughs> marker <laughs> laid down all right we're gonna take a break and we'll be back with more from chef serene and bay Coming this spring, we're working on something big for opening soon. Opening a restaurant can sometimes take months or even years. So I have this one consulting client that's been three months away from opening for the past year. And I had a calendar reminder show up today, and the reminder was that our goal was to open tomorrow. But this spring, you'll be able to hear it in just a few hours. On March 30th, he had passed away, and then on March 31st, he had come back to life. And then on April 2nd, he had passed away again. And I was like, okay. My regards to the family, I don't even know how to receive this information. So tune in as we follow one of Brooklyn's best and brightest young chefs and restaurateurs on their journey from start to open doors. Alex, you need to put more money in. We're out. We can't pay anybody. He is the worst. Oh my <laughs> God, that guy. It's the build. Subscribe to Opening Soon from Heritage Radio Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. 
Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back. We're talking to Chef Serene Embe about how a new generation of chefs are remaking the New Orleans food scene. So we started to talk about this a little bit, but many people may be familiar with Dookie Chase's, which is one of New Orleans' most famous restaurants that is more directly rooted in the cooking of, first of all, a legendary African-American chef, the late Leah Chase. But I was I was curious for you, given the experiences you were talking about in Commander's Palace and what you're doing now in Dakar Nola, how do you describe how your food sort of intersects with like someone might get at Dookie Chase's and also how it diverges from the Creole traditions? I mean, first off, I really want to pay my respect to Miss Leah Chase. I mean, she had inspired so many, including me, in many different ways. And I had the opportunity to meet her a few times. And one one of those moments was when I was at a, a restaurant and she took me in one of her back rooms and closed the door and just poured knowledge into me. I just felt like it was those moments. I was like, wow, I need to, I really need to do what I... I really need to cook the food that speaks to me, that's true to me. And I think what we have similarities could be um, the family style of cooking in the sense of cooking big one pot, such as red beans and rice, such as gumbo or gumbo there. I think the commonality, the common between our two cuisine would be the method, but the difference would be the, the end result, such as she could make a soup called gumbo there, which is gumbo that's rooted in a lot of different mix, a lot of different greens. And I can make a dish called supukanje, which is my version of a, a soup that has okra and variety of seafood. Or whether she's making etouffee. In Senegal, we have a dish called domada, which is essentially our etouffee, if you will, instead of mm. adding um, celery and the Choli Trinity, which is celery and peppers and onions. We could be adding just onions and peppers, not using celery, you know? So I think that's where it it uh, is, it, it, it dissects. But I think at the the method is being done there. I think it's very similar to our method in many different ways. But the end result is a little bit different and our story is a little bit different because now being here in New Orleans and being living in this land for such a long time, the things that has been added that make that makes it their story, their story. I can I go back to that moment with uh, Leah Chase taking you into the kitchen, right. and I'm assuming she knew you were an aspiring chef. And and do you feel like yes. she, yes. when you said she poured knowledge into you, did did you feel like she was embracing this moment that this young, I mean, you were American and African, but maybe not maybe you've had a different life experience than an African-American. Like I mean, she first, um, when I met her, I was quite nervous because in my culture, when you meet someone as uh, a legendary as Miss Leah Chase, you have to, you know, kind of bow down because of respect. And in, in American culture, when you meet someone as uh, a legend as Miss Leah Chase, you have to shake their hand and look into look look at them in the eye and greet them with respect. But in my so I was quite stunned. Didn't know how to approach it because I was just so amazed. Uh, I mean, uh, by Miss 
five minutes later, Chase. And I was in between. I didn't. I, I didn't stand up straight. I didn't sit down. <laughs> I was just. I was just lost. She said, "Stand up, young man. You'll look handsome." And she said, "Remind me of this chef in New York City. I don't want to say the name, but um, um, I remember when he was young and so eager. You know. And then she's like, you know, whatever you do, just make sure that you um, stay connected within the community. And those, I still this day. I do a lot of my work is revolve around the community. In fact, I believe that my brand is community. The Carnola is community. I wanted to ask you about that because um, I think you got on our radar when we saw a New York Times article about a kind of set of chefs, some of whom are, are African, but some of whom are not, or from other cultures who have been, I don't know if the right word is flocking, but a number of them coming to New Orleans and pursuing paths similar to yours in terms of cooking their own food in new ways and maybe bucking the convention of, of Creole or Cajun standards, but also embracing the location. And I was just sort of curious of, of both the vibe and your view of, of what, what is happening in New Orleans and whether does it feel niche or does it seem like it's actually driving the food scene there in, in, in a new direction into the future? Honestly, I, I like what's, what I'm seeing because I think that New Orleans now, you know, when I, around the time I came, I didn't see a lot of uh, restaurants that was being supported that were not um, heavily rooted in free occasion. If they were, there were many. And I think now, including me with the food that I'm cooking and uh, different folks from different culture, whether they're from the diaspora or uh, the Caribbean or South American and cooking day food that connects to the diaspora and bringing it here to New Orleans, I think is being received well, but I think it's time for change and also is helping folks from from New Orleans, specifically uh, Blacks, to see the fact that what they want to do is also possible. If this guy from someone like me, you know, does uh, African-American, but also African cooking the food that that my mom used to cook and able to do a business and and being in tab with this much success that it has in such a short time, I think it is it's possible for them to do it as well. And intentionally, I have been hiring a tremendous amount of folks from New Orleans and just to inspired them and even already at the time that we opened I already seen some some their potential and let them go to something much bigger things that they never thought that they could accomplish but by my short time being there being at the car I was able to help them through see themselves through that mm-hmm. and and push them to want to do great things and I think that's why I was saying earlier that the Carnola is truly a restaurant that is for the community. Mm, because because it shows such a range of, of possibilities that, yeah. that people can accomplish things they through your example, things that are, are unexpected. Right. I mean, you get a lot of chefs that works at these big uh, establishment where you know you possibly work in salad, you might be on the salad station for eight months, or you possibly work in at um uh um production or you or you're working at a pastry program where you're just doing one thing because you're doing 
uh, massive numbers, where Dakar is such a small, intimate number. So you have an opportunity to to see many different things, you know, um, in such a short time. So you're if you're fo- if you're focused, cook, you could you could gain a lot of it in such a short, such a small time. Mm. Yeah, I know. And there those places that gain a reputation for like, oh, you want to hire someone from there because they will have been challenged or learned a lot of different things. And then you become a sort of training resource for the rest of the city. Or right. Beyond. Exactly. Exactly. I wanted to ask you, because I was also struck by there's, you know, both a connection and a history in New Orleans is, is very much about the water and what comes out of the water, whether it's fresh water, Gulf water, and that that also connects to Senegal's geography, but clearly with uh, cuisine that is very centered or often centered on seafood and the issues with, with climate change um, and, and certainly hurricane situations in Louisiana, how, how you feel, because you, you've talked in... You, I love what you've been saying because it's all positive. You almost never mention any challenges or negatives, but clearly that that's a big concern. And does it feel like it's being addressed or does it really worry you looking toward the future? Um, I think it definitely worries me, you know, moving towards the future, but I feel like, you know, everywhere you live now, um, whether it's Africa, whether it's California, whether it's New York, you are going, you are having some difficulty with some sort of climate change. And I think uh, only thing that I think that I could do is to, when those things occurred, do whatever I could do for the community. You know, so as an example, where last time I had happened when I was here and, you know, lost power and et cetera. So I, volunteer my time and we ended up getting paid from it for it but we went to this camp where we cook for um uh folks that were restoring our power in the city of new orleans i mean we did it for about three weeks or so possibly longer and we're just cooking for them lunch i mean breakfast lunch and dinner and for me i think that New Orleans is such a unique place and has its own culture and et cetera. So I'm one to stay here as long as I, the city is able to stand, you know, because I think it's such a unique place and um, the people are so, such, so kind and loving. I don't want to just leave the city because hurricane has happened, you know, California struggle with fire, you know, New York or, having problem with uh snow and etc you know so everyone has their thing but mm. but i don't know what the future holds and i will take it as it comes you know i'm that type of guy i was like if it comes i'll figure it out there's no storm so there's nothing to be worried about i mean the storm is here or storm is coming let's figure out a way how do we get prepared for it yeah it, i mean it's ultimately all about adaptability and certainly right. as someone who's lived in africa a long time you or living in in other parts of the world and particularly in less developed parts of the world, like the constancy of of electricity even is is um something Americans maybe take for granted in other parts of the world it is not yet a constant or a given at twenty four seven. Right. I, I totally agree, you know, but but that's the beauty in it. I mean the reason why is is a lot of things is a lot of reason why New Orleans is a place that people love, but 
it's also the same reason why some people dislike it because of those things. Because if it was so perfect, we don't have no problem with any of these um, hurricanes. Then more people probably want to uh, want to live out here. And then what about the actual folks that really want to live here and care about the city? You know, so I think that's the beauty in it. You know, is is not perfect, but it's, it has some reason why we love it. I think that's a great way. We're going to take a break um, and we'll come back and we'll hear Serene's Julia moment. Tickets are on sale for the 2023 Taste of Santa Barbara, May 15 to 21. Check out the full schedule and get your tickets now on sbce.events. The lineup features some of Santa Barbara County's top culinary talent. Highlights include a special screening of classic Julia episodes and a conversation with chef Susan Feniger. Antonia Lofazo, and Nancy Silverton. A cherry bomb meetup focused on women winemakers at the Inn at Maddie's Tavern. And the Taste of Santa Barbara Wines at El Presidio returns. There'll be cooking classes, farm tours, wine tours, and special menus throughout the county. Follow at SB Culinary Experience on Instagram for breaking news and updates. Proceeds from the Taste of Santa Barbara benefit the local community. We hope to see you there. Let us know what you think of today's show. Send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. No, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here is when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she might have inspired them in their career. Serene, what's your Julia moment? Man, you know, early on to when I started researching about uh, this culinary dream, uh, you know, I, I saw looking, I saw look up on YouTube different chefs that uh, that was, you know, did this TV thing. I mean, I saw a few people, but uh, Julia was definitely a person. She's definitely a person that inspired me throughout my career in the sense of, like, how blunt she was with the food that she was cooking, you know, to have a little bit of, the, you know, with the understanding of French cuisine and such a, in a way that everything is like mise en place and to be perfect. But she has a playful way of cooking French food in a way that even French people themselves didn't look at her any any sort of way as as disrespectful or anything. You know, she she had a very loving approach into it. And then seeing in her personality as she's cooking through these food that has so much layer and um techniques but she did it with such a joyful and i think that right there is, is inspired me so much about julia child that's lovely and was she even on your radar and still me I, yes. I was guessing yes. when you were you young or in senegal or not until you came to culinary school in so, the states to be honest when i after i graduated culinary school i um was trying to 
work for a place that was doing anything about West African entombments. And the closest I find was this book uh, by uh, Chef Pierre Cham, which is a Senegalese chef that opened a restaurant in Harlem mm. um, called Teranga. And he, his first cookbook was um, nominated or ex-featured in uh, Julia Child cover page and the second cookbook was nominated JBF. But I was like, wow, like, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, to me, I was like, wow. Then I started really looking to, to Julia Child much more deeply, you know, and this was around, I would say about maybe nine, nine years ago, something like that, nine, eight years ago. That's really neat. Uh, uh, that, that, you, that's fascinating, and that it, it connects up with, I, I think, the mission of the foundation to sort of carry on one thing that, that Julia was really passionate about, which was, you know, just shining a spotlight on people that she thought were doing interesting things and that she wanted f- from that spotlight to just spur them on. So um, thank you very much for joining us and sharing that connection. We really appreciate it. I mean, I am humble and honored to to be in this podcast that is paying homage to someone like her. So just to be here, I'm grateful for that. And I hope someone could listen to this through this podcast and feel inspired and want to focus on their dreams. So thank you for allowing me the space for this. Our pleasure. And, and we hope for that outcome as well. Thank you, everyone, for joining us and listening. For more from Serene and Dakar Nola, check out at Serene Bay underscore and at Dakar Nola on Instagram. And you can find a link for reservations, which are hard to get, um, via the Instagram page for Dakar Nola. Video clips from the French Shift continue to arrive weekly at Julia Child on Facebook. And please follow at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. I'm at T. Shulkin on Instagram. You can find Julia Child channels streaming The French Chef on Pluto TV, Plex, and Freebie, as well as on the PBS Living and PBS Documentary channels on Amazon Prime. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at GBH. Thanks to my co-producer at the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Armin Spengen. Our theme song, New French Horn by Novi Valtorny. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next season on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.